Father, this morning we just come to you. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord, for who you are. Everything else is secondary, Lord. But what you do for us. But beyond that, for who you are. For that alone, you are worthy of all our praise, all our worship, all our adoration, Lord. We just worship you, Lord. Worship you. This morning, Father, I pray you would speak to us once again. You would teach us. And every time you teach us, Lord, we will know you a little better, a little more of who you are. That it is our encounters with you that changes us. It was his encounter with you at Peniel that changed Jacob to Israel. No man can encounter you and remain the same. So, Father, I pray even this morning, we would have another encounter with you. As we minister the word, Lord, you would minister to us through the word. Spirit of God, I come at this time into thy hands. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So the Lord says, occupy it till I come. How do we occupy different ways in which God wants us to occupy? Let's first turn to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17. It is a very somber warning which man did not understand which God was giving. After creating him, after giving him power, authority, to subdue, to rule, and put him in the garden, the Lord God commanded man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And those two verses that two verses encapsulates the entirety of what's been happening for the past 6,000 years. You are free, yet you are not free. You are free if you do this thing. And if you choose to do the other, you will lose your freedom, your liberty. And this command was given to just one set in creation in this physical, material world, to one set of his creation, that is mankind. He's saying, be very careful about how you exercise your free will. If you want to stay free, exercise it in the way I guide you. See, God is the only free being in the entire universe. And he's free because he's not Tempted by evil. That's why he's free. He knows evil. He knows what is evil. Otherwise he can't be God. But he's not tempted by evil. Okay? And that's what God was telling man. Don't you dare eat of it. If you eat, you will die. You'll be separated from me. You will be alienated from God. We need to realize, he said, once we are alienated from God, 
life loses its intended meaning. Because meaning is only found in God. Once we are alienated from God, we have to try to find meaning outside of God. That's what we've been seeing through ages. And until man comes back to God and keeps coming back, completely surrendering, emptying, being filled by God, the struggle will always continue. Always continue. And everything that we are seeing around the world, everything, is a search for meaning. Search for meaning. In India, any part of the world, it's a search for a meaning. It's an empty search because it will ultimately lead to emptiness and death. You can't find meaning in your race. There's no meaning in the race. There's only meaning in God. You cannot find meaning in the color of your skin. Whatever the color is, it's irrelevant. There's no meaning in it. If you find meaning because you are white and you become a white supremacist, it's false. You'll end up in hell where there is no color for your skin. Okay. Anything, caste, race, education, you find meaning in wealth, looks, anointing, the things in which people find their meaning. Not the God who anoints, but in the anointed. Because remember the first one who walked in that original God, Eden. The Eden before the Eden was created. Remember, it was Lucifer. Lucifer is just a nomenclature. We don't know what his actual name is. Lucifer, light bearer, torch bearer. Okay? He was the anointed cherub, perfect in beauty and in wisdom. He was proud of his anointing. He was proud of his beauty. He was proud of his wisdom. Boom, he fell. So you can't find meaning in any of those things. You find meaning only in the one who exists by himself. Self-existing one. That's only God. Everything else he created. So please keep this in mind and don't get carried away by causes that are outside of God. Because even the causes will lead you to emptiness. We have only one cause, that is the kingdom of God. Okay, that's the cause that will keep you stable. Because that's connected with God and His kingdom. <clears throat> so we saw in occupying different, different parables of Jesus Christ, and then we saw in Jeremiah 31, and verse 6 and 7. Jeremiah 31, 6 and 7. No? There shall be a day, when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Okay, you can go to Zion. <laughs> Why do you go to Zion? You know, a lot of people go to church, but they don't go to God. You know? A lot of people go to church. They don't go to God. Let us go to Zion. And they enjoy their time, but when they go back, they are empty. They are unchanged because they go to Zion, but they don't go to God. The call is to go to God. Okay? It's so different unless we understand the spiritual part of all these things that is written. These are old covenant people being moved by the Spirit of Christ. Only we can understand what they are saying. Even they didn't understand. David could only say, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. He could never be the house of God. We are the house of God. We are the house of God. The new covenant difference of the life of God, the life of God that God is offering us, 
his life. We don't understand what it means. And we are still trying to appropriate his anointing, his power, his skills, his talents for a life outside of him. And we don't realize why we are miserable. And God says, you're meant to be miserable if you try to live outside of me. There's only one man, one person who's absolutely, totally content in himself. He's, he says, that is me. That's my life. That's what I offer. For thus says the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob. See, when we come to God, we have a song. We have a song. He says, open your mouth wide and I will put good things in it. Okay, we are not talking about mutton and chicken. We are talking about songs. He puts songs in our mouth and shout among the chief of nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, oh Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. So we see truth. Four things there. One, there is a song. Okay, automatically they sing. Once you have and come to the Lord, it doesn't matter whether you are in the palace or you are in the prison. There is a song. There is a song. There is always a song. There is praise. There is proclamation. And there is prayer. Okay? And these are manifestations of our word life. Our word life by which we occupy. And God is like, no, as we come to God, our conversation changes. Our conversation changes. And has to keep on changing. And align it with God. Because you see, culture keeps changing. It's been changing for 6,000 years. The world outside keeps on changing. And the only thing that remains the same is truth. It never changes. It never changes. Because God is truth. And when you take God out, then you have a truth which is a lie, which keeps on changing. So you will see in the 11 chapters of the book of Romans, after incredible arguments of every kind, of every thought, logic and argument, to the atheist, to the theist, to the skeptic, to the Jew and the Gentile. Okay, The book of Romans can be called the case for Christ. Okay, if you want to put it as a class of logic, like a case for Christ. And then, after making all these incredible arguments, the Holy Spirit through makes this impassioned appeal in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It's an appeal. I beseech you. It's an appeal. My brethren, by the mercies of God, you present. Even today, his mercies are new. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay? And then, he, you see, he upholds the virtue of the body. The value of the body and the virtue of the body, unlike so many theologians in the past centuries, which say the body was useless. Only the soul matters. So it does not matter what you do with the body. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's a soul that matters in the Greek thought and even within the church that permeated in the ancient days and even today it is there. Even today it is there. It does not matter. It does not matter. And one of those lobbies within the church which sanctions both abortion and homosexuality pertinent to this. The body doesn't matter. But that's not where it... Because you have to realize behind anything you sanction, you need to have something to... Something to back it up, an idea, a, a logic, a theory. So that is where the body does not matter. Because the body is anyway perishing. The body is not going to be saved. 
the body, we are going to get a new body, so the body does not matter. But that's not what the Bible says. He says, no, there is value and virtue in this body. So offer your body. And then he says, your mind, your mind, and the mind, okay, renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The primacy of your will, use your will, bend your will to offer your body and your mind to the service of God. Okay, both, you have to offer your body and your mind to the service of God. So there is a surrendering of the body and the surrendering of the mind to the will of God. So we saw Proverbs 23 and verse 7 in KJV, 23, 7, as a man thinketh. Yeah, as a man thinketh. Oh, when we used to be in PG and all in university, we all used to talk Shakespeare. No meaning. Not quoting Shakespeare, talk like Shakespeare. What are you thinking? What do you think it? I speak it. Okay. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Okay. As a man thinketh, so is he. Okay. He says, like I said yesterday, okay, that was in Hindi, today will be in English. No man or woman can ever rise above his thoughts. It's impossible. It's impossible to rise above your thoughts. How far will you grow? How far your mind will progress. You will never grow. That's why the tragedy of GTC Hyderabad is we are one church with hundreds and hundreds of books and maybe a handful reads. Books, a handful of people read. It's something which is a mental block for people. That's why we I look at it and I preach. We preach for hours together because I see you don't have much problems with listening. But you really have an issue with reading. But I'm telling you, reading is a, another godly discipline. Very godly discipline. That even in this last day sitting in a prison in Rome, Paul will write to Timothy, bring my scrolls, my parchments, my scrolls. No, and my old coat... It's pretty cold and dingy, damp in this dungeon. So I need some heat for my body and some heat for my soul. Get my scrolls. Okay? Because no man can rise above his thoughts. Your life is never higher than your thoughts. Like one of the, I still remember because it is personal. Because when a person who's married to a pastor and your husband his father was a pastor and his father's father was a pastor and all are very well-known pastors. It was anonymous because they didn't want to get their identity out. I always wonder who is this pastor. Three generations of extremely well-known servants of God and all their wives struggled. All their wives struggled. Pastor's wives really struggled. Almost every pastor's wife struggles. Because they say, how can you be so kind to everybody and why are you like this with us? And we don't, they don't realize because for a pastor, a pastor who really works on his word, his thoughts are far ahead of him. He's always running to catch up with his thoughts because he's constantly 
tackling with the word of God. That is the highest thought you can have. And he's struggling to match his life and he takes his, all his frustrations on his wife. <laughs> on his wife. And all, all God's men struggled. And all, many of the God's men, women, men's wife gave up. Gave up. Whether it is Moses' wife or Samuel's wife or David's wife, they all gave up. They just gave up. No, because they don't have what he's pursuing. And it's so difficult to live with this man. Give up meaning, meaning they, okay. No, this is a struggle with your face because your thought life ultimately is what will define who you are. And the servant of God struggles, struggles. And you could see that desperation and, uh, no, which they go through. Lord of men in the Bible until you come to the new covenant and then God says, relax, chill. It's my life, not your life. And even then, new covenant people struggle. So the greatest set of thoughts put across as one package, like the fruit of the spirit is these, 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 these. It's one package. It's like that. It's put across by Jesus and John the Baptist, Matthew 4 and verse 17. It is put across by Jesus, which demands a change of mind. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, change your mind, change your thinking. For the kingdom of heaven, that's a set of thoughts, how God thinks. God thinks, okay? And that is a manifestation of all that we see is a manifestation of God's thoughts, which was pronounced through the word. Okay, Repent, change your mind. Why? Something bigger than you can ever think is here set of ideas is here compressed, presented to us as the kingdom of God. And the supremacy of this thought, I put it across as today as thought, the kingdom of heaven is revealed in um, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, if I'm right. 11, 15. Then the seventh angel, okay, seven is that number. Today, Joanna is seven. Seventh angel sounded. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world, every idea from the beginning started with Babel, an idea. Every idea, look around us, look around us. Every idea. Having trouble because of ideologies. Ideologies, you know, China, ideology, India, another ideology, Pakistan, and the ideology. We are having trouble with all our neighbors now. Everybody is rattling their sabers everywhere because it's got to do ideology. Nepal, which nobody ever thought is rattling. Why? Because you have Oli, who is this prime minister, who is from the Naxal movement. His ideology is more closer to China on the other side. So they are rattling the saber at us. In the middle of this COVID-19. Okay, so it's all got ideology. The God says, don't worry about all this. Capitalism is an ideology. Communism, socialism, humanism, feminism, everyism is an ideology. He says, you know, one day all the kingdoms of this world would have become the kingdoms of our Lord. Till just that big rock, no? will crush this ideology. And God says, why don't you start that in your mind? The kingdom of God is within you. Why don't you change your thinking? You know, and that's where it all begins. That's why Jesus says, repent. I like the Hindi translation of repent. I thought that's one of the best. Manfiravo. Change your mind. Change your thinking. It all begins there. Change your thinking. 
change the way you think and then act out how you think. Change your thinking. And we saw in the story of the prodigal son. That's all. That's what we all are. Every man, woman, child is a prodigal. And the change begins in Luke 15, verse 17. Scripture says, when he came to his senses. When he came to himself. And all of us have to come to ourselves. His change began there. He looked and he looked and he said, you know what? All this rebellion against my father and wanted this freedom and liberty to lead life on my own. At the end of the day, now I'm in the pit. Life is miserable. And I look back and I realize, you know what? Dad is really good. And he's just not good to his children. He's good to all his creation. All his creation. Even the hired, not the regular service like Eliezer and all who can have so much more freedom and own their own houses. Not the, Even the hired servants. The ones who stand on the roadside and they're entirely dependent on somebody saying, hey, you're free, come, work for me. What is your wages? Okay, I'll pay you this. Even the hired servants are bred enough. Just not enough to spare. Do you think all these birds only eat enough? When the lion eats a kill that doesn't eat for two weeks, he's, he's, he's eaten too much. He just goes to sleep. And then every every goat Every deer, every cat walk in front of his nose, he's not even bothered. He just lets them walk around him. Because he's eaten enough. And the highness come and eat the spare. He says, do you see your father in heaven? And he says, and I perish with hunger? He came to his senses. He came to, that's how it all began. He came to his senses. It started with getting his thought life aligned with who the person of his father is. And God is using a parable to tell, you know what? You need to start thinking right about me. Thinking right about me. And in Luke verse 15, verse 21, when he came to his father, his thought life is now pronounced. You have to proclaim. It's not enough to think right. You have to speak right. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The rest was done by the father. Everything else. Okay, everything. You you have to have both. He cannot come back and say, okay, I goofed up, but you're also goofy. Cannot come back that way. Okay, you cannot come back that way. You cannot come back and say, well, you are so nasty, that's why I wanted to walk out of home. I hope you have changed because I have come back. You cannot justify yourself. A lot of people come back, try to come back to God on their own terms. It does not work. You cannot. When you are repenting, it means you are changing the way you think. That's not enough. And aligning the way you think with how God thinks. That's truth. You have to do both. Get rid of your thought life and align yourself with how God thinks. And the rest the Father does. You know. And it is by those words he occupies his old space in his father's house. Okay, So we occupy the world which belongs to our God, this earth which belongs to our God by our proclamation. So God says, it's either life or death. You choose life or death. And you choose by the words of your mouth. Life and death is in the power of darkness. Either you, the kingdom of God occupies through your proclamation or the kingdom of Darkness. See, this is what happened. This is you need to understand and where these things come from. 
Because God put it across as the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And we have day and light, and the works of light and the works of darkness. The fallen man took it and made it into white and black. They associated color with something that was spiritual. And then you made the white man holy and the black man evil. To the point to enslave the black man because now it is Christianity and you have a conscience and you have the word of God. You you cannot do this. So you are struggling with it. So what did you do? You decided the black man doesn't have a soul. You have to read history. Because some more other you have to spoke, speak to your conscience. Right? But the whole thing is because you misinterpreted light and darkness. It's not white and black. It's not white and black. Okay. The color of your skin does not make you holy. The white supremacists are as the skinheads, you know, are some of the most wicked, evil people on planet Earth. And the color of your skin does not change who you are. Some of the worst humans ever who walked on the Earth, their skin was white. And some of the worst humans who walked on Earth, this color of the skin was black also. The color of skin does not change the nature of your soul. <laughs> it's only God who can. God who can. The white man who bought the slaves from Africa, and those slaves were sold by the black man to the white man. So they are on par. What are the difference? Your color of your skin was all black, but your tribes were different. Your tribes were different. So now it was not the color of your skin, it's your tribal affinity. So you conquered this tribe and took people from there and sold it to the white man. Okay, so well, these things, ultimately you need to look at all these things and you need to realize, you know what, the kingdom of God is not that. He does not see black and white. He looks into your heart and sees what is the nature of your soul. You read the Song of Solomon and read the first chapter and you will see she is black. She's black. Okay. So if black was darkness, Solomon is going gaga over his girl who is black. And Solomon's song of Solomon is also the song of Jesus Christ. So he's also going gaga over his black beauty. <laughs> he says, your skin is black, but I look at the color of your soul and you're beautiful in my eyes. Okay. So you have to look at that. Otherwise, we will realize we are also racist in the heart. God is not a racist. God is not a racist. Okay, The kingdom of God is how God thinks. God thinks. So he says, repent. For the kingdom of God is here. Keep changing your mind. Start looking at things and people and values and everything the way I look at it. Okay, I look at it. Don't change. According to the world, change according to me. And then when you come and become a child of God, Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, the most comforting verse in the book of Jeremiah at a time of total calamity that is being prophesied, God still does not change. Okay, It's a most um, miserable book in the Bible. Okay, Miserable book, we had a question on lamentations. They say lamentations was written by Jeremiah, not Solomon. But nobody is sure about the authorship of Lamentations, but most theologians think it is Jeremiah, because the whining and the tone is the same. 
Okay. The most miserable book. In the miserable book, there is a blaze of lightning there. Lord God says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. He says, you know what? You will go into captivity. But even when you go into captivity, you know, all those who know me as father, nothing will happen to you. And that's Daniel. That's Daniel's three friends. That's Nehemiah. That is Esther. All of you who actually know me as your father, I tell you, the plans that I have for you are always of peace, are always good, and always to give you a future and a hope. This is my thoughts. And that's how we have to think. You know what? I'm a child of God. And I'm in captivity in Babylon. But if I'm one of those remnant who always looks up and not bend down, you know what? The thoughts that you have for me, not only in this time, in eternity to come. For them, it was caught in time. It's only Babylon to Jerusalem. We are from earth to heaven. Eternity. He says, all my thoughts towards you are good. He says, you don't know. You misunderstand me. But I know the thoughts that I have towards you. I wish you could get into my head and know how I think about you. You, know? you always misunderstand me. When I come and tell you, repent, you think I'm angry with you. I'm telling you the way you go, you will be destroying yourself. I wish you knew my thoughts. My thoughts for you are always, always good. All his thoughts are good towards his children. So our thoughts have to align with God's thoughts. Therefore, our words can align with God's word. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 to 9, that's what God is telling Joshua. Joshua, Joshua, listen, I'm taking you to a country. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. You may prosper wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night. You may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. You will have good success. Okay, so he's telling him. First thing, attitude. Be courageous. Be courageous. Be strong. Be bold. Be courageous. Because this is not going to be easy. It's going to be a daily battle for you. Because he's not only writing for Joshua, he's writing for us too. Okay, for them, it was going to be an absolute, total physical battle. He says, attitude of your heart, be courageous, be bold. Second thing, meditate upon my word day and night. Three, do it. Fourth, speak it. And I promise you victory. Okay, promise you victory. This is a recipe for success in the kingdom of God. And the battles that follow are the proof in the book of Joshua. And he has to battle two battles. Okay, he has to, three battles he has to battle. He has to battle himself inside. Fear, fear, the battle of the flesh. Fear, he has to battle fear. Okay, as a leader, battle fear. Because if he's afraid, his followers will be afraid. So he has to face. So you don't see the battles of the rest of Israel in Joshua. You only see Joshua's battles. It doesn't say all of Israel started wailing. It says Joshua started wailing. Okay, so the leader wins. 
the rest of the followers will win. So we are exposed to Joshua's battles. Okay, So he has internal battles, he has battles with nature, and he has battles with men. And he has to win all three of it. Nature, yeah, he has to cross the sea, the terrain, all kind of things. Everything is against you when you are fighting. Now, nature suddenly shall, does not say, oh, Joshua has come here, I was waiting for you here. Jordan says, come cross. No, it's flooded. Okay. Okay, it's flooded. But you have to exercise your faith in God to say, nature works for you and not against you. Because it was created by God, the earth and its fullness, where God says, you have to believe. Okay. And you will see one defeat, <laughs> immediately everything changes, right? Attitude changes, action changes, words changes, everything changes. Afraid, falls on his face, why did you bring us here? Everything changes. And God says, just get up from the floor, okay? Okay, so God says, you realize, we have to change how we think. Then only we will change how we speak. Then only we will be able to occupy. So three verses we looked yesterday in the Hindi service. We look at it again and then we will go into Moses. Matthew 19 verse 26. Mark 9 23 and Philippians 4 13 where that incredible man who understands all this puts it together. Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So the first thing we have to get into our mind and repeat it if you need until it becomes a part of you a thousand times. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. There are no impossibilities with God. With God, all things are possible. And Mark 9, 23, if you can believe, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, believe in what? Believe in God. Have faith in God, Jesus will say. If you can believe in God, all things are possible to him who believes. When God tells you something, if God tells you something, if you believe, all things are possible. That's what God is telling Joshua. I'm telling you something. I'm with you, as I was with Moses. Every place the sole of your foot will tread, I give it to you. Now go. Set of young people who are not battle trained. Rookies. They're rookies. Okay? And seven nations greater than them. Battle hardened, fortified cities, mighty men of war. And God says, you know what? Do you believe what I say? If you believe, you will win. All things are possible with God. And if you can believe what that God says, all things are possible to him or her who believes. That's where the importance of hearing is not just picking up promises as you like and using it in the flesh. The importance of hearing. You hear and you believe and you obey and God says you will win. Paul puts this together beautifully in Philippians 4.13 and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sitting in a dungeon, Chained hand and feet probably. He tells us, you know what, I can do. I can do everything God wants me to do, I can still do. Right now, if you look at my physical condition, you may think that I am useless. I am helpless. But you don't realize, in this condition, whatever God wants me to do, I can still do. And he writes a letter. He writes a letter. And this letter has done more in human history than all the preachers put together. 
all the overcomers in the new covenant will take their crown and put it at Jesus' feet. <coughs> Jesus will say, you can take it, put it back. And they will say, take it and put it at Paul's feet and says, Philippians made me finish my race. For the overcomer, all the secrets of overcoming come from the book of Philippians. Comes from the book of Philippians. A man who refuses to quit. And he says, forgetting everything, I will press on. Can you even move in your cell? No. Are you pressing on? Yes, I am. I'm pressing on. Boy, what a man who understood what God can do with a man who is fully surrendered. Okay. So God is talking about, you see, this is a man in chains, but his thought life is not chained. His thought life is powerful. His mind is aligned to the mind of Christ Jesus. Absolutely aligned. If you were to ask him, are you chained, Paul, in your body? He says, no, my body is on the altar, surrendered to Christ Jesus. Who told you I am chained? No, I am not. I am chained to Christ. I am chained to Christ. I offered my body on the altar. He can do anything what he wants with my body. And your mind, my mind is absolutely chained to Christ. Aligned with Christ Jesus. It is not chained to this world at all. I can do all things. I said like yesterday, two sides of this. One is your personal battle. Your personal battle. You will never give up. Doesn't matter how long you've been in that rut, besetting sin. Whatever it is, I can overcome that in Christ Jesus. I can. Because you have to win your personal battle. And Paul knows that. Having having preached, I myself should not be disqualified. I will not be known for my gift. I will be known for my life. A lot of people are known for their gifts. They are not known for their victory, how they won, ultimately finished, overcame every sin, every negativity in their life and overcame. So you have to be known ultimately for your life. No? So I can do all things. In that is your personal battles, whatever you are battling with. In your person, each one's battle is different. There may be common areas, but each one has their own battles, and you have to be able to believe and proclaim, I can through Christ Jesus overcome. I will overcome through Christ Jesus because that's what He wants me to do. And Christ has never lost a battle. And the second thing is your outworking of your ministry, whatever God has called you to be, whatever. There's no lay person in the kingdom of God. All are priests. And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship after you have been created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should not do them. Not do them. People in the world do works. We don't do works. We walk in them. It's part of our life. It's an outworking of our life. That's the difference, walking in it. Okay? When I came in till here, I had my shoes on. I was walking in my shoes. The shoes and I were part of my body. I was walking in my shoes. See, as long as I'm wearing my shoes, you don't see my feet. What you see is the shoes. And the shoes and my feet have become one. That's why we have this usage, no? Fits in like a glove. Fits in like a glove. Fits in like a glove. No? I wish I had a glove. So these are all illustrations. Like Jesus, you have to use the illustration. You take a glove and put it over there. It's useless. 
put your hands into that gloves. And suddenly you realize the gloves have life. You are sharing your life with the gloves. Each finger moves. You can hold, you can grip, you can let go. But without the hand, the glove is lifeless. But when the hand goes into the gloves, and that's what you're talking about, your life and your work are becomes one. You walk in them. Walk in them. You can do. Without walking in them. You can do. Without walking in them. That's the difference. There are a lot of people who take it as a job. Anything in life. Including presidency. <laughs> you can take it as a life. As a job. And then finish off and make a library and sit over there. That is never their life. That's one of the reasons why I like President Trump. You listen to his interview when he was a young man. I think with Orfra Winfrey. One of them. Nothing he says now about America and how he wants to change America has changed. He exactly said the same thing as a young man. About China, about how America is taken for a ride. Everything he said then about Europe, he's doing and saying it now. He's a man of convictions. He literally leaves a million dollar golden apartment. You have to see his apartment video. It's all gold. He's fascinated by this color gold. I think his bathtub, his taps, everything is gold. Literally, like that Greek god, that Greek king, you know, left his golden apartment for a one dollar salary and is sitting there in White House taking these abuse day and night. You know what? Because he's walking in something which he believes. Otherwise, he wouldn't. I'm at 74. Who wants to do? You're, a, you're not a millionaire. You're a billionaire. You have your Trump things even in India, in Pune and all. You can play golf for the rest of your life. In the best courses in the world, you don't have to do this. You're getting nothing out of this. But that's not what you are. No. And God says, if a man in the world can walk in what he believes, what about us? What about us? Born of Christ. He says, you walk in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is within you and you walk in it. It's your life. Your work it's an outworking of the life of Christ Jesus. And these are the battles we face. And when we keep changing our thought life, and our thought life is actually who you are. And the kingdom of God keeps growing, 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 growing. That's the visions which Daniel sees. The stone gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and, bigger and, bigger and then it fills the whole thing. That something should happen to me and you personally. Christ is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and he takes over. You think and you walk like him in your sphere that he has. It doesn't matter. You could be a single mother at home or a preacher on the street. It doesn't matter who you are. But Christ one day has to become all and in all. You know, And that happens here first. And then it starts coming out of your mouth. And then it, you walk in those works. So you battle against it because it's your flesh. And the enemy through the flesh, fighting it tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. He doesn't want Christ to occupy. He wants him to occupy through you. So today, let's keep looking, but today, we look at the, for me personally, the call of the greatest man in the Old Testament. Why I call him the greatest man is because Hebrews 3 compares him to Christ Jesus. 
So I believe he is the greatest man in the old covenant, not even John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist, you have to look at the entire picture of their ministry. Jesus says in terms of proclamation, he is the greatest because he is the one who is able to point out the others only could profitably signify. But if you look at the totality of the life and the works and the heart and the humility, you look at the totality of his life, there was nobody like Moses. Simply nobody like Moses. Okay, nobody like Moses. And his call and how he overcame. And brought out a people out of slavery who would later occupy the promised land. Okay? That was the call. The call of Moses. It's the call of every man sitting here and every man, woman hearing how to come out of slavery and how to bring others out of slavery so that that people will occupy the earth one day. The meek shall inherit the earth. The call of Moses is the call of every man. To come first come out of slavery, of sin, and then through your life, let rewards of living water flow, bring others out of the bondage of slave, and make them in the image of Christ Jesus, and one day when he comes, they shall occupy the earth, inherit the earth. That's the call of Moses. Everything for Moses would change in one day. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. One day, everything is going to change. This day, I believe, unlike other days, let's read 1 to 4. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So many. It doesn't matter what you do. (laughs) Your job in the world is irrelevant to the call of God. It's irrelevant. What is he? He's not even a shepherd with his own flock. He's the shepherd for his father-in-law's flock. Okay, so it doesn't matter what your status in the world is. It's irrelevant. The call of God has got nothing to do with that. Okay? He's faithfully tending the flock. And you know, you know how it is if you, if you ever know how it is to tend flocks, sheep or goats or cows or whatever. You don't take them to the same place every day because they eat up the grass. Then you move to a next place and wait for that to grow up. Okay, that's how you move. You move, you keep on moving. Okay, so you will see cattlemen hated shepherds. Okay, these are all old west, wild west. Because the sheep will eat up everything. Eat up everything. And the cattlemen hated, hated the shepherds. Okay, because they... They always hated them because they believed the land was theirs, the grazing areas. So there was a racist overtones between the shepherds and the cattlemen. Everywhere you will see all these things. The cattlemen think they are superior to the shepherds because we are raising what cattle while you are raising sheep and you are an abomination. You are eating up our, our land. Our grass. Okay, so all these things are playing out in history. So here, I believe, as he was taking, for the first time, I believe he went further than he had ever gone. He had reached the appointed place in his wanderings where God wanted him, where God will meet him, and Israel later, Horeb. He came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
say it was not the mountain of God, it's going to be the mountain of God. Later it will become the mountain of God. Because so this is all in what he called retrospective effect, this is being written. Mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. A with a capital, so we assume it is Jesus Christ, appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn? So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. So that's where it all begins, okay? Everything is going to change in that day. It must have been a simple, typical day for Moses. Depressed, discouraged, monotonous life. This is a man who had seen success. And now he's in the pit of despair. Given up on life. Okay, this is my life. 40 years of shepherd. Get used. You know, people get used to that kind of a monotonous life after some time. Just stop thinking. This is it. I've seen so many people just waste away. Waste away. They just waste away. You're not supposed to be like that in the kingdom of God. Your body is irrelevant. What matters is your mind. In your mind, you're supposed to go closer and higher and higher in your thought life. So even if your body is incapacitated, your mind is not. And you can still bring out your thoughts which influences the world. And you will see many of the great men, many of the greatest thoughts, greatest thoughts, were not in their young age, in their old age. Because they kept their mind sharp. And people you know, fall apart first in their mind. Mind. You know, like all our young people, Tanishka and all, all young people and some of our younger, older people also, they all go to McDonald's. And they love McDonald's. I never go there. I hate McDonald's. You know when he started? At 56. He was older than me when he started McDonald's. And 56, most people get ready to retire. Okay, get ready. 55, in many places in India you retire. He didn't retire, he just began at 56. And that's a worldwide chain. Even in the world, you need to realize, you know, people in the world or people in the kingdom, you need to realize that, you no. Know, it doesn't matter if you grow old. You need to grow up. You need to grow up. People just fall apart in their mind first. And that is the problem. And that is what the world wants to do with you. The world will fill you with all these junk shows and comedy shows and all this stuff on TV. And as you partake it, you don't even realize your mind is deteriorating along with your body. Body deteriorating, everybody knows. But they don't realize the deception of the enemy by partaking of all these things. Your mind is deteriorating. But that's not what God does with the kingdom thoughts and the kingdom ideas. Your mind gets sharper and sharper and sharper. And the more you go, the Bible says, the deep calls out to the deep. Iron sharpens the iron. You know? And a lot of pastors also go into that rut. You know, they have this, they want to be like John the Baptist. John the Baptist was given a commission. Preach this one message. Lots of pastors have only one message. 
they never grow further in the word of god never grow into the depths of god they never grow they personally don't grow and the, what happens most of the church will never grow most of the church will never grow because most of the church when it comes to spiritual things have outsourced everything to the pastor there'll be very few one or two who will be still studying and seeking and searching god on his own but most of them have left it to the pastor so when the pastor does not move on with god the whole congregation stops think about it it's it is literally true every time moses stops israel stops israel cannot go further than moses can't go further than moses okay But the new covenant is not like that. New covenant is a completely different picture. Jesus is such a most compassionate, generous, absolutely not a hint of jealousy or anything in his insecurity, nothing. He says, you know what? You can do greater things than me. I have no issues with any of those things. I want you to be like me. We cannot grow higher than him in thought life. But he says, in works, you can do more than me. I just limited myself because father said this is all I have to do but he's not limiting you you may do something greater than me I have no issues with that no I have no issues with that so here is he wandering in the desert sad miserable monotonous discouraged depressed it's a picture of most of humanity especially during pandemic and then he sees a sight not a bush on fire Deserts, this always happens. You have suddenly, you have fire. No, you see in pictures we get on WhatsApp. No, when the summer goes, it'll come now. It's reached up to 46 in the Middle East. It'll go up to 50. He, my brother and I was saying it was 50 last time when he was out in the car. And suddenly you will see everything on the bush on fire, electric poles on fire and everything out of it. Because the heat is going up and suddenly you will see them catching fire. So they're used to it. It's not a big thing. A bush ca- catching on fire. But that was not the great sight. The great sight was three. Why does the bush not burn? It is burning, but it is not consumed. That was the sight. He saw a bush on fire, but everybody knows even a great wildfire after some time, it burns out. And you will come back after a weeks, it is all black, gone, all burned off. Just. But that's not what is happening. He says, hey, There's something that has happened here. What is what is the difference here? He says, you know, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. That was what made him look around. Okay? And God says, you know what I'm telling you? This is what you all are supposed to be. Then the world will turn around and look at him and says, I saw him 15 years ago. I saw him 20 years ago. I see him today. He's still burning for his God. He's still burning for his God. What is the reason behind your passion? See, he is very passionate about Raf Nadal. Now we look at this. Okay. Raf Nadal becomes the greatest Grand Slam player. He overtakes Federer and goes a few more steps and then he is an injury and then his passion is gone. Passion is gone. Right? There are so many things that can catch your passion on earth. but it has it's got an end to it it's got an end to it but he says there is one passion that can never die can never die 
That's your passion for God. Because that fire is lit from above. It's lit from above. And that's what he says. You know what? This fire is different from another fire. This fire is lit from another fire. Why is it not going? You know, that's what we are all called to be. Jesus, John the Baptist said it. The one who comes after me, I will tell you. I'm not even worthy to untie the thongs of his sandal, but I will tell you, he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and he shall baptize you with fire. It was not the baptism of the Holy Spirit alone that changed the world. It was the baptism of fire. Baptism of fire. These people kept on burning. And all the power and the might of the Roman Empire could not put that fire out. That was the most powerful empire the world had ever seen. Ever seen. It was it was not the glory of Babylon, which was gold. It was not the glory of Medo-Persia, which was silver. It was not the glory of Alexander of Greece, which was brass. It was the ruthless power of Rome, which was iron. But even that empire could not put that fire out. And they were simple, unlearned men and women blazing for God. There was nothing you could do that could put out that fire. And that's what he saw. And that was God was showing him. And he turned aside. You know, this is the call of every man in the new covenant to be that. And the very manifestation of God is a call to man. There are two choices. Suddenly when you see this, you have, man has two choices before him. The burning bush that is not consumed is a call to every man. Either you can be that, on fire for God, and never be consumed. Or one day, be consumed by the fire of God. Fire has only two destinies. Either you are on fire, forever on fire, all through eternity on fire. Your fire doesn't go down, it only keeps on increasing as you get to know God more and more and more and more. The fire goes up, or you'll be consumed by the same fire, because our God is a consuming fire. Only two choices, ultimately before one man. Okay. Yeah, the words went. Okay. Then out of the fire, when God saw that he turned aside, he said, I will look, I will turn aside. He turned aside to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Okay. Okay. Many times when God calls man once, there is a difference when God calls man twice. Abraham, Abraham. Moses, Moses. The fourth time, Samuel, Samuel. And every time, you will always see when God calls and a man's life changes, his response is, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Abraham would have definitely said in the hour of the Chaldeans, here I am. Isaac would have definitely told his father when he tied him up on the altar, here I am. And Joseph would tell his father, here I am. Little Samuel would tell God, here I am. I see how when his lips are burned with the fire of God, will say, here I am. Here I am. Okay. Here I am. That's the only response. 
actually that's the this only one correct logical response to the calling of god abraham abraham peter peter sammy sammy right richard richard tanish Only one response, or who are you are hearing? God knows you by name, and He calls you by name. Hey, you there! He doesn't say <laughs> that we say, "Hello," no, because we don't know their names. God knows our name. God knows our address. He knows our past. He knows our present. He knows our future. He has seen the end from the. He knows it all, and still calls us. That is the interesting part. God is calling us despite our past, despite our past. Yeah, despite our past, the devil will try to push you down because of your past. God calls you in spite of your past. Okay, that's the difference. So often you will see the how the devil works. Okay, through the press, they will always bring up Trump's past, not his present, and how well they will cover all the others' past. Tara Reid came out, and there are eight people now standing up and standing with her testimony. But the media has covered it very nicely. Why? Me too does not matter anymore. Me too matters only depending upon who is accused. I tell that is also racist. It's also racist. Me too mattered when it was Trump and when it was Justice Kavanaugh. It didn't matter when it was Vice President Biden. So you have to see how the devil works. The devil will always go somewhere to your past, true or false, but he will throw at you, throw at you until no, because he's not bothered about you. He wants to create a perception in the world. After they say, if you sling enough mud, something will stick. Something will stick. But there's only one who knows the truth. Who is that? God. God says, "I know who you are, and I called you. I know you are a murderer. I know you killed somebody in war. I know you killed. I know you killed many in war, but that's a different thing. Killing in war is something. I know you killed an Egyptian. That was murder. The other one was a different thing. Call of duty. These are two different things. Nobody would call a soldier who shot down a Pakistani was intruding a murderer. We'll call him brave." Give him Veer Chakra, but you do that with your br- somebody else, you go into jail. No, okay. So God says, "I called you in spite of your past. I know your past. I know your past, and I have called you." That's what He tells everybody. A lot of people will look at their past and they will say. How can God call me? As if God doesn't know you and me. He knows all of us. Hmm? He knows all of us. He knows every one of us. We all look like Moses. No, how is it possible for God to call me? How, how can? No, how can? That was a confusion in the church in Damascus. You mean that man is preaching Christ? How can God call him? How can God call Saul of Tarsus? Don't he? Doesn't he know what he did to Christians? Doesn't he know? 
God says, I know. Now you go there straight and as I'm giving you the address, don't get it wrong, go there, lay hands upon him. He's my chosen vessel. Lord, I don't understand. You choose these kind of vessels too? Yes, I do. I do. I do choose all kinds of vessels. Because I am the potter. I know how to make vessels. That's why God comes through in so many ways in the Bible. I'm the builder, I'm the shepherd, I am the potter. You know, he's all kinds of things. So that he is trying to tell us, just come to me. I can change you. Keep coming back to me. I can change you. Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And verse 5. He said, don't draw near to this place. Hey, 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 don't get excited, okay? Hello, because I called you by name. Don't rush, okay? Take your time, take your time. Take your time. Because you do not know who I am. I know who you are. You don't have to worry about it. I know who you are. And I am the one who is calling you. But the issue is that you don't know who I am. My very holiness can destroy you. So take your time to draw near to me. Take your time. Get to know me. Do not draw near this place. Draw near to me. And I will draw near to you. Okay? But understand what I mean by that. Wash your hands. Your heart. Your mind. Everything is divided. And because your mind is divided, your heart is divided, your hands are filthy. You think you did it in my name, but you did not do it in my name and you did not receive it from me because I told you very clearly, a divided person receives nothing from me. Nothing from me. A divided person receives nothing from me. So, as you draw clearer, don't rush to work. Let's fix your mind up first. Okay, I'm in the business of fixing your mind. Don't rush. You know what God is telling? Don't try to be intimate with me without first having intimacy with me. Just get to know me. Let's talk. Let's talk. Get to know me. Let's talk. Okay. Let's talk. Let's get to know. You get to know me. I know you. I know you better than you know yourself. So let's talk so that what will happen? You will know who I am and you will also know who you are. You'll also know who you, who really are. Because you think you know yourself. You don't know yourself. <laughs> I know who you are. Okay? Meaning, I even know who you will be. What you are is not what you will be. What are you doing, Gideon? Are you, is that a Midianite? No. I'm threshing wheat. Mighty warrior. Where, where? You. I know what you will be. What you are. It's not what you will be. And because I am the God who sees the end from the beginning, I will call you as what you will be. Because I am outside of time. I will not call you by what you are. I will call you what, what I be, you will be. So what I am calling you, mighty warrior. Moses is looking at himself, depressed, discouraged, and all that. And he says, Moses, Moses. He's calling him by what he will be. No? So get to know me. Don't get too close because my holiness will destroy you. But my love for you wants to secure you. So let us maintain some social distancing. (laughs) For your safety. 
for your safety, can we maintain some social distancing? Stay safe. Okay? Let us stay six feet apart. Otherwise, I will have to bury you six feet down. Under. Okay? So, let us maintain some distance until I have got rid of all the viruses in you. Then you can come close. And by the way, take off your sandals. Take off your sandals. Take your sandals off. Stand on your bare feet before me. You know what your sandal is? The sandal represents all your received knowledge from the world. That is your point of contact with this world. Yeah, where we touch? We touch with our shoes, with our sandals. And the sandals represents the sum total of your preconceived, received ideas of the world. Take it off. and Stand on bare feet before me. Then I can talk to you. And you know what? It takes people years to take their sandals off. You know why people struggle to hear from God? Understand God? And walk with God? Because they're still taking their sandals off. Otherwise, you look, how will I take this city down? City shut in, nobody can go in, nobody can come out. Massive walls, fighting men, Joshua. And then suddenly sees a man with the outstretched sword. He says, are you for us or against us? God says, neither. That's the captain of the host has come. The same angel is come over there. And he says, take off your sandals. Because what I'm going to tell you, you will not understand as long as you stand in the received ideas of warfare. You will not understand. Stand before me bare feet. Then I will tell you how to move ahead. Then you will be able to do it. We put our intellectual cap and everything and our BA and MA and MSc and PhD and no MD and everything. We put that cap over there and we look look at all this. And God says, can you just take it off? And just stand on bare feet before me? No? Can you stand bare feet before me? Take it off. Okay? When we stand bare feet before God, suddenly we will also realize the ground we stand is holy ground. You know? This is, this is the main thing, you know? People all rush in and rush out of God's presence and never really get to know God. The first thing when you stand bare before God is you have a vision of the holiness of God. Everything else is secondary, actually in eternity. Everything else is secondary. If you can understand that God is holy, everything will start falling into place. Because everything that you do and you think will start getting permeated by that holiness. Everybody loves the love of God. Everybody wants the power of God. The love feels me, makes me feel good about myself. The power makes me feel valiant. But God says, you know what, the first thing I want you to know is that, you know what, I am holy. If you understand my holiness, you can walk all the way with me. All the way till the very end. It's not just my love. It's just not my power. It is my holiness which will cause you to walk closely with me till the very end. You know why Moses was disqualified? You know what God said? You did not hallow me. Hallow me. What is hallow? Consider holy. You didn't think what I said was holy enough to be implicitly and correctly obeyed. You didn't think. So what's our first prayer? Hallowed be thy name. 
Hallowed be. And what did all the people come to Jesus and say at the last? Lord, Lord, we did it in your He said, yeah, you did it in my name, but you did not hallow my name. You didn't hallow my name. You didn't hallow my name. So he says, I want you to stand on holy ground. And I want you to listen. And you know, in all cultures we know one thing. When we take off our sandals, it's a sign of surrender. To the will of somebody. Will of somebody, right? So, even in India, right? When we come to a house, the first thing we'll ask you is, do I need to take off my shoes? Because I understand your, I don't know your rules. Do you allow us to get with our shoes or not? In most Indian houses, <coughs> we will say. Sometimes we'll say it's okay, depending upon the person. And some people who we believe are below our, like the ayas and the poor people, no, those, they, they don't even ask. They automatically take it off. Okay, because in their mind, they have this thing. They already have a feeling, I'm not worthy enough to get into his house with my sandals on. So you know, this is a permeated into our consciousness. But when the people from the West come, it is not there in their culture at all. So they look and look at, oh, all the shoes are outside and they wonder what is happening. Okay, Now because of pandemic, everybody's shoes is off. Your shoes also has to be sanitized. Our shoes have to be taken off. And one of the conditions of the government for all gatherings is you need to have advocate space to keep the footwear. The government also is saying it is good to take your shoes off. Okay? So, but it is a sign of surrender. Okay? Now, you know, I will tell you exact things that happens. Okay? There are people who will say, okay, do I need to take my shoes off? And the other person will say, Yes. Then they will say, okay, I have something to tell you. I will stand here and tell you and go. I'm not ready to take my shoes off. A lot of people who do that. I'm just passing a message. I'm not coming under your rules. I pass my message and I'm going. <clears throat> so, people in the West, and because we are in the East, we know exactly what it means to take your shoes off. Can you enter a temple without taking your shoes off? No. Can you enter a mosque without taking your shoes off? No. Can you even enter a tomb called Taj Mahal without taking your shoes off? No. So we know, in the East, so we are people of the East, so we understand the Bible sometimes better than the people of the West, because we know where this culture comes from, because it has much more deeper meanings. So taking off your shoes is a sign of first surrender. I am surrendered. Now you can speak to me because God can only speak to a surrendered soul. He cannot speak to an unsurrendered soul. And a lot of people are still in the spiritual state sitting before God with their shoes on. Therefore they never hear. And even if they hear, they are interpreting it with their own ideas and permutations and combinations. And they feel good about themselves without realizing God never feels good about them. And that's what God is talking about. Then only God can speak to us. And then the revelation of who God is begins. Verse 6 onwards, 6 to 10, uh, 6 to 9 is a revelation of God is. Moreover, he said, after he has taken his shoes off, maintained, advocate social distancing, God says, now let me tell you who I am. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Very clear how God speaks. He doesn't say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
doesn't say that because he says, then it is a different thing. Then he is a God of a community. He says, no, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What does that mean? If you understand, I will be the God of Moses. I am a God of the whole world, but I am also the God of individuals. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Burning bush and a voice, he hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. There is a revelation of God that is coming now, because he has met the conditions of God. We want a revelation without meeting the conditions. We rush in and rush out of church. And six years later, ten years later, twenty years later, we still wonder why we still struggle with God. Come late after worship is over. Okay. Fall asleep when the word is being preached. Think the prayer is too long. Right? Never late for a movie. Never think the movie is too long. Never complain because the ticket was too expensive. Right? Isn't that true? I don't know what tickets of movies are. I haven't seen the inside of a theater for years. So how much is it? 300, 400? Minimum. 250 is minimum. How many people put 250 in the church offering? A month. I think it's too much. I'm talking generally. I'm not talking about our church. or Generally, those who just go to church and all put 10 rupees. 550. 50 paisa is gone, so they don't put. Okay. People think, think about it, no? No? I've preached in churches where I was shocked as I was finishing and then I, the senior pastor comes, the, the, the resident pastor comes to say benediction and I saw people coming in for the service because they don't want to miss the benediction. I said the benediction will take them to heaven. They don't come for anything. But they want the benediction. They want the benediction. They want the benediction. After everything is over, God tells Moses, tell Aaron, this is how you need to bless Israel. The benediction was not in the beginning. It was at the end. After. You know? Think how we take God for granted. And yet God patiently waits. Waits, waits, waits until we are ready. And he is there and he meets us. He meets us through a burning bush. No, he meets us. That's how, I don't know. We all encountered God through a burning bush of our times. We looked at this fellow in the hostel and said, why? We hid from them. Because how can this guy, he's just like me, doing the same course in another, um, same degree, first year in another, but every day evening you see this fellow, where is he going? And then you know what this book was. First I did not know, because I came from a Catholic background, I did not know Bible, I did not know Bible had covers. I had no clue. These things, because you never saw this book there opened or read or anything. Then people said, he's going, he's crazy. That's how we all labeled them. This fellow is crazy, okay? Avoid him, because he will try to talk to you about Jesus. And every day, regularly, without fail. And 9 to 9.30 is Bible study. Different rooms for different groups is allowed by the priest. And without fail, Bible study, do you want to come? Invitation is part. 
Nobody goes, but that doesn't bother him. He will still come and knock at your door and invite you. He still invite you. Okay. This is simple people. Kids of our own age at that time. But we didn't realize they were burning for something. And that led us to Christ. That led us. So one day, like Moses, I also turned aside <laughs> to see what makes him burn. And caught the same fire. Okay, And we look into all our lives. There was a burning bush that was not consumed. And God says, can you be? He said, that's my witness. He said, wait in Jerusalem. Then the Holy Spirit came. And literally the Holy Spirit came as power, as wind, and as fire. Tongues of fire upon them. And Jerusalem was turned upside down. Then Gamaliel had a good advice to give the Sanhedrin. Look, if it is not from God, it will die. If it is from God, no man can... Right? Okay, internet is there. Okay? Okay. God starts revealing and he says what? He says, this is who I am. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he clearly points out where do you come from. Moses, where have you lived? In Midian. Who do you work for? Jethro, you're not a Midianite. I know who you are. You're not a Midianite. I know who you are. I'm not just the God of Abraham. Then you can say, okay, Midian also was Abraham's son. But I'm the God of Isaac. Isaac also had two sons. You're not a, you're not a Edomite. I'm the God of Abraham. God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. I know who you are. I know where you come from. Because you lived in the desert of Median for 40 years, you may have lost your identity. I haven't forgotten who you are. I haven't forgotten who you are. We may have lived in this world for so many years and forgotten who we are and become one with the world. One day God will come knocking at the door of our heart and says, you may have forgotten. I have not forgotten what your identity is. This is who you are. And I am your God, the God of your father Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That's who I am. That's our eternal identity. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid. And verse 7. Heart of God is revealed. He reveals. He says, I surely have seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. 
Did you see? He says, you know, I see the sorrows of people. I see everybody's sorrows, he says. I see their sorrows. Okay? There are different kinds of sorrows. At common level, it is pain. What is that? Pain. There is pain. But solution to pain is not the same. It's not the same. One may just require a pill and the pain will go away. It doesn't come back. Another may need it to be cut open and taken out. Then only the pain will go. All pain is not the same. Though you feel it the same way. It's not the same. But the pain is real. Pain is real. And our problem is we try to paint all the pain with the same brush and want the same solution. And God says it does not work. That's what the world does. That's what the world does. Okay. The pain of a single mother who is struggling, God says, hey, hang on, I'm there for you. I'm there for you. I am your husband. I am your father. I am there for you. The pain of the gay guy who is struggling and wants to be accepted is also real, but the solution is not the same. I am there you to come out of it. And he doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to hear it. I love you. I love you, therefore I am telling you I can help you to come out of it. Really, really love you. My son paid that price for that too. But you have to call it by what it is and want to be willing to come out. You need surgery. You need surgery. If you think, if you want to come out of it, I'll be with you. I will not forsake you. But if you want me to accept you with it, I'm sorry, son, I will have to forsake you one day. I'll have to forsake you one day. This is the tragedy of humanity. They want God to save them in their sin. And God says, I don't do that. So maintain your social distance, Moses. Know who I am first. Before you jump and say, I can deliver, because you need to realize what are you delivering them from. Because everybody jumps into ministry without realizing what ministry is. Ministry is to deliver from the bondage, from the slavery of sin. And a lot of people don't want to be delivered from the slavery of sin. They don't want to be slavery of sin. And their solutions are different. And get mad with pastors who give them solutions which are outside of scripture, which will never sanctioned by God, and the power of God does not come into it. It's a carnal solution, no. And they destroy not one life, they destroy lives because of their solutions they offer. God does not offer that kind of solutions. God's solutions are always wholesome. It will set you free and set others also free. So get to know who I am. I heard their cries. There are cries all over from earth. You think the cries of the people who are walking on the streets are not real? Not only were our forefathers enslaved and brought here for 300 years, then we still are being discriminated. Okay, the crime is real. But what is the solution? The solution is Christ. First he says, you know what? It doesn't matter how many laws are changed. You will not be free inside. Free inside. You will never be free inside. That no law of man can change. 
First, you need to be free inside. First, you need to be come to me and be comfortable in your love for me. I do not see the color of your skin. I do not see your background. I don't see your background. Moses, I know who you are. I know from where you come. You are the son of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Two, I know where you come from, where you fled from. You were in Egypt. And in Egypt, you were a Hebrew. And Hebrews are slaves. And slaves are an abomination. Hebrews are an abomination. I know who you are. And I love you. I don't look at you the way the world looks at you. No, I don't. I don't look at your history of slavery. I don't look at the, the, uh, the race you come from. I don't look at your strength, your number. I don't look at anything. First, we have to be secure in God. Otherwise, we'll put a label, I'm a black pastor. No, I'm a pastor. I'm not a brown pastor. I'm a pastor. The color of my skin is brown. I'm not a brown pastor. There are no white pastors and black pastors and brown pastors. There are only pastors. There are only pastors. Because if I am a brown pastor, then I will be only able to love brown people. Oh no, I love all people. And I've got children of all colors. And I don't love them differently. I don't love them differently. My sheep, I don't love them differently. I've got all colors. No. I don't love them differently. This is our problem. We have not allowed ourselves to be accepted in the beloved. God has accepted us in the beloved. That's why I keep telling now you pull a joke on me according to my past. It doesn't bother me. It really doesn't bother me. You know, Mallu, yeah, what can I do? Can I change? Can I go to God and say, why did my father be a Mallu? My father is a Mallu. My mother is a Mallu. I cannot change my genes, human genes. Okay? And everybody talking about color, race, you know. I grew up among 500 students. I was the only one who was brown. But when you are among a people who are almost white and your color is brown, they don't call you brown. They call you black. And all my childhood I grew up, they called me Kale. And I was okay with it. Because that's the color of my skin. It doesn't bother me. Can I change the color of my skin? God also says, can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? No, but God loves the Ethiopian. Yes, he took Philip in the spirit and sent him to an Ethiopian because he loves the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian heard the gospel before any white man heard. Okay, we have to look at it and say, you know what, Lord? He says, Lord, I see your cry. But your solutions, your putting across is not the solution. The solution is my son. In my son, no color, no race, no status, no free man, no slave. There is no gender. It's no trans. Don't tell me there's no trans. There's no male, no female, no transgender. He didn't say. These are all coming out of the warp. These things of the enemy who's deceiving people. So God loves the transgender too. I see. I see your cry too. You're struggling with your identity. But this is the identity crisis and the. Politicians are taking it and playing identity politics. God does not play politics. He's not a politician. He's a father. And he hears the cry of each one of his children. He says, you have a struggle with your identity. You think you are gay. You're not. You're not. You're not, son. I made you male. Daughter, I made you female. 
and you complement each other. Now you have an issue with your agenda. You are changing your agenda every day. You have an issue with your agenda. You have an issue with your sexuality. You have an issue with your gender. You have an issue with your color of your skin. You know what God says? You know what? I'm the only one who can make you whole. I'm the only one who can look at you right in your eyes and say, this is wrong about you. I can put it right about you. It's because I have loved you to the point where I died for you to put you right. And no man can say that. No politician can say that. No politician can say that. That's what he's talking about. He says, I see your cry. I see my people's oppression. And the cry is because of their taskmaster, for I know their sorrows. And he sees all these people who play politics and the powers of darkness above. He says, they are the slave masters. You know, there are, there is Pharaoh and there are slave masters. You know, the slave masters were Hebrews. The Hebrew slave masters who were appointed, so they had a better position. They had to carry the whips and they're whipping their own people. So they got used to this in their inside that we are better than others. And they always disliked Moses. That is the 250 people with Korah, Datan and Abiram. I'm absolutely convinced in my mind. These were taskmasters in Egypt and they did not like. Now the power had gone from their hands into this man's hands. That's why they came against Moses. They were heads of different families. So they were the Egyptian taskmasters appointed by the Pharaoh. So these are guys who had served the Pharaoh and had tasted the power from the devil. And they did not like the man who was exercising the power from God with love, with humility, with kindness, who was willing to die for the people. Because these people lived off the people. Okay. Because in the, as far as I know, in the history of United States, for the first time, you have a president who is taking nothing from anybody. It's not living off the people. Whatever is spent on him, it's because they have to spend it on the protection of the president. But other than that, he's not drawing anything. He's not taking anything. He's actually losing. Every day he stays in office, he loses. Because of the anti-feeling that is created by the media against the Trump organization, they're actually losing business. They're not gaining. They're losing. By the time his presidency is over, you'll probably find out, unless God blesses him, you'll find out he didn't gain. He lost probably a few billions. For what? He's on an ego trip? No. Who wants to take this junk every day? Why would anybody want to take this junk every day? It's like Jeremiah. Lord, I just don't want even to meet these people anymore. I'm tired. You know? You don't hear. They said from January to May and they did a statistics, 97% of the media against him was negative. 97%. For what? And that's before the epidemic actually hit. When he, before the epidemic hit, he, U.S. was at the top peak of an economic economic success, and ninety plus percentage of the media is negative. It sounds like Jeremiah, right? Everything he's going and doing and speaking is positive, 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 positive. Do this, do this, do this. God loves you. Do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And they hit. 
See, there is this inbuilt in us human consciousness. Everybody loves an underdog. Inbuilt. That's why I like him. He's an underdog. When everybody's hand is against one man, we need to stand up and ask, there's something wrong over here. There's something diabolic about this here. Not against George Bush. Not again, any Republican president have I seen such hostility. And then you look at him, hey, there's something different about this guy. Even Reagan was five years governor of California before he became president of US. This is a guy who had no politics at all. That's why they hate him. He's not part of the clan. He is not part of the clan. He's there, he's an absolute total outsider and he's there upsetting their apple cart. You know how entrenched politics is even in this country. Appa, go to the assembly, go to the secretariat, go to north block, south block. They have been sitting there for centuries. They love the power they hold. And anybody comes over there to try to change it, they will destroy you. They will destroy you. They will destroy you. So understand. Okay. So God says, I see the cries of people. I see everybody's cries. I see everybody's sorrows. I know their sorrows. What is he saying? He says, I am not a God who is detached from your pain. But the problem is, every solution that I have for you is loving, but wrapped in my holiness and my righteousness. That's our issue. We like his love. We don't love his righteousness. So, today, a love of God is preached without righteousness, which is called tolerance. And the church will be finally pushed to the corner as being intolerant. Church is intolerant to all marginalized communities. They are anti-gay, anti-transgender, anti-women, anti-anti-anti-anti. We are all, so finally, and the church is one after it's buckling, 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 buckling under pressure. Okay, you also can get in, you also can get in. They lowered the bar so like everybody can get it. The righteousness of God is no longer an issue. The holiness of God is no longer an issue. And God tells Moses, I hear the cry. Let's look at verse 8. I hear the cry. So I have come down. The God who lives in the highest of heavens. Basically, using a human metaphor. the highest, Even the highest of heavens cannot contain him. He says, I have come down. I've seen, have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, the seven enemies you will face. Pastor Vijay has been talking of different spirits. This is spiritual. I'm bringing you to a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the life of Jesus Christ. In the life of Jesus Christ, there are two portions. One is milk, that is strength. The other is honey, that is sweetness. We have strength and we have sweetness in our life. The joy of the Lord and this righteousness is our strength. We are girded with righteousness. We have strength and we have joy. Land flowing with milk and honey. You know, they had to go through all that physically so that we would experience it spiritually. He says, I have come down. Who is that who has come down? The God of Israel came down as a burning bush. But when he comes down to us, he comes down as Jesus Christ to deliver us from the power of the enemy. 
Satan, the power of sin, and lead us into the life of Jesus Christ, flowing with milk and honey. Because that's what I have come, to break the power of this. How many Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perisites, Hivites, and Jebusites? Six are there? Yeah. No? The six spirits, he says. Break the power of this. And there are a lot of companion spirits also. Lots of them are there. But six nations are mentioned over there. He says, I have come for that. And verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. He says, I see their cry. I see the oppression. I know their cry is genuine. See, God looks at both. He doesn't look at our cries alone. He looks at our oppression. Is your cry true? A lot of people are saying we are oppressed. God says you are not oppressed. That's the oppression of sin. I see your cry. Your cry will change. What do I do? need to do, Lord? Repent. That's all. Repent. That's all. Your cry will stop. There's no other solution for your cry. Because the oppression is from within, not from outside. The oppression is from within. It's not from outside. Okay? So oppression is from within. Okay? And a lot of oppression, I'm sorry to say, a lot of oppression in so many marginalized communities is from within. It's not from without. Let me say if America is the most racist nation on the earth, how come every race still wants to go to America? I still don't understand that logic. Every race wants to go to America. They did a, last year they did a poll and found 350 million people are willing to go today if they get a green card. More than the population of America wants to go to America. And they say it's the most racist nation on the earth. Isn't it funny? Yet every immigrant of every color who has gone there and worked his heart has reached the top. So it's a land of opportunities. Also. It's a land of opportunities also. And every person I have known who is in US, young kids, all of them, they said, Pastor, you want to make money and you're willing to work. You can make money in this land. All you have to do is be willing to work. You can make your money here. You should be willing to do any kind of job. How many doctors are there from India who have gone to US and is in the car wash? Because they realize they make more money washing cars than make money here as doctors. You know, when I was teaching in that place in Bhutan, we had a Swedish family there from Sweden. And the smart kids, okay, the father was an engineer about heating and all. He had four young kids, small little ones, very close to me because they were believers and they used to lead worship in my church. What used to happen over there? They were just above my institution over there. They had a house. Every weekend, you know what these kids do? These white kids showed the Bhutanese kids how to make money. They will come onto the road, paint a board and chid. Car wash, 50 rupees. The Buddhists had never seen anything like this. They're looking at them and they said, that's a good idea. And they brought their cards. Four white small kids with the water so clean making their money. Making their money. Sitting at the road. Weekends, as a son worship, these kids are making money and they realize they can money. They raise their rates up. Next week it was 100 rupees. And they raised 150 and they realize there's plenty of customers coming. Enterprise. That is Enterprise. 
I laughed my guts out. The little one was a sweetheart. She used to come and jump over into my, this thing. So I said, your, your kids are real. I used to tell him, Koge, your kids are. His name was Koge. I said, Koge, your kids are really, really enterprising. He said, yeah, no, that's something which we all do over there. We left, right, center, you can make money. If you want to work, you can make money. Okay, because that's the way, in the world, that's the way out. The color of your skin does not matter. If you are willing to work, you can work. You can work. And when people don't work, you don't complain. These forever government handouts are not good for man. Destroy you as a person. Because it's contrary to the word of God. Because the word of God says, if a man does not work, he should not eat. There are seasons when you should help people. No, when they are really down and out, you should. But after that, you have to push everybody out and say, you know what, go work. It's good for you. It's good for you. You know, and you have to look at all these things and God says, I have seen. I have seen. And you know, in India also. Now, of course, everything is shut down. People have to become enterprising. <laughs> enterprising. We have our people in the church who are very, very enterprising. <laughs> who learned how to bake and baking the daylights out of all of us. <laughs> and how good they have become, how excellent they have become over a period of no any design you tell them, they bring it out. They are baking all kind of things and they are making their money. And they are smart, sitting quietly and making money. This almost anything is possible today because of online. Why don't you become enterprising? We have another kid called Preeti. You have to see the kind of thing she makes, and it's all there, you know. But today, yesterday I saw that is key holders. She is made, looks really cute. All kind of things she makes. People are enterprising. Now we have to learn. And the most enterprising nation in the world was US. And there you keep complaining, complaining. If all those who complain about discrimination in the US, I would like to invite you to India. Like I used to tell in the church, you know, if you're complaining your life is very bad, why don't you volunteer one day in my special needs home and go back? You will thank God for the children you have and the life you have when you saw those, see those children. Why don't you come to the rest of the world and see how the world lives? You will say, Lord, thank you for the United States of America. Thank you, Lord. Because the ghettos in which I live in U.S., it's sometimes better than the cities of other worlds. Want to live in Beijing? You live in Shanghai and be a communist slave? They tell you when to blink. They tell you when to breathe. They tell you when to stop working. You want to live the rest of your life like that? Even billionaires disappear in China. If they say a word against the government, they just disappear. Oh, here is a country where you can speak, open your mouth and speak the choicest abuse against the head of your state. You try it in India, they will break your teeth. And you're complaining about the freedom in US? That's not freedom, that's abuse. That is abuse. So the people in the third world look at and say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Celebrate your liberty, celebrate your freedom and peacefully Try to bring forth change. Peacefully bring forth change. Like Gandhi did in India. Peacefully trying to bring forth. I still remember one of the lines I read. When the riots started taking place during the partition. You know, he went on a fast. 
I think he was in Calcutta then. He went on a fast. So two sections writing, killing is taking place. One is on the western frontier Pakistan and the eastern frontier in uh, in Bangladesh. Because he was on this side, when he started fasting, everything st- stopped. The Muslims stopped killing the Hindus. The Hindus stopped killing because they respected him and loved him. But in the other side, it was still continuing. And Lord Mountbatten, who was supposed to be the governor general then, still the British transition period, is supposed to have said, with my 50,000 soldiers in Punjab, I'm not able to stop the mayhem. My one man Gandhi has stopped it in the Eastern Front. One man stopped it in the Eastern Front. And I'm not able to stop it with 50,000 soldiers in Punjab. The strength of a soul that believes that things can be worked out through peace. A kingdom principle. Kingdom principle. This is the power of ideas. And the idea had become that man. So India's freedom movement is always associated to one man. Because a movement had become that man. Because a man had given shape to that movement. And he took those ideals and became that person. Until today. If you go to universities, you will always see studies on the freedom movement on India. You will. Because of what? And where did he get it from? There's only one man ever in human history who preached active nonviolence. That was Jesus Christ. Only one man, active nonviolence. Somebody slaps you on one cheek, show the other cheek. If somebody takes your coat, you have two coats, makes you walk a mile, go the second mile. Go. And that's what he practiced. That's what he practiced. So you have to realize, we need to think different. So our thinking, that will change everything. And as I close, verse 10. God sees all this. Come now, therefore, I will send you. He invites you into the plan of redemption of mankind. That's the call of God. You know what the call of God is to partake in his entire plan of redemption. Come. I will send you. I have come down. I have seen. I am going to deliver. How Lord? Through you. Through you. Through you. You are part of my redemption plan. Come now. I will send you. That's God's call. For everybody, not Moses. Everybody in the new covenant, God says, this is my call. You are part of my redemption plan. I am sending you to send others who are oppressed. Who are oppressed. And that's why I speak about what's happening because it's so visible in the news. What's happening? What's the answer to the oppression? Any form of oppression you see anywhere? Christ. The gospel. The gospel. Come to Christ and be free. Come to any other form. You will still be a slave. Any other solution. You will still be a slave. That's what he told the Samaritan woman. You drink of this wine? Of this water? You will be thirsty. You'll keep coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back. What is that? That is a form of slavery. You go back, you go back, you go back. But you drink the water I give you. You will thirst no more. You will be free. Not only it will have its own life source, because that is not coming from you. That is not coming from the world. That is the fountain that is from heaven. It will birth its own. You will, what does it mean? Fountain flowing, rising up within. You will move from more to more to more liberty. From liberty to liberty to liberty you will go. That's the gospel. And it is to that God is inviting all of us. And he doesn't look at anybody's past. Anybody who is hearing today. Your past is irrelevant to God. 
God says, if you believe and obey my call, you will be part of my redemption. Wherever you are, whatever you are, that is the call. Come, become part of my redemption. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Amen. And then next time we shall look at Moses' excuses. Our excuses. Because every man has a Moses in him. Father, we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I commit every one of us who is listening into the hands and who will listen into the hands. And I pray, Father, we will stand on holy ground. We'll get to know you. We'll get to know your purpose. And your purpose is the same for everyone. It may work out in a thousand different ways, but the purpose is the same. You're calling us to be part of your redemption of mankind. And I pray, Lord, today, everyone who hears will bend their knee and say, Here I am. Here I am, Lord. I want to be part of your redemptive plan for mankind, Lord. Use me, Lord. So that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is my God too. I want to be part of your plan, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Bless your people. Let each one continue to grow in you, Lord. Let our mind, our thoughts change completely. And the words that come out of our mouth also change accordingly, Lord. So that the kingdom of God is manifested in us and through us. In praise, in prayer, and in proclamation. And we will walk in it, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. We commit the rest of the day into thy hands. Be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.